So let me ask you, what was your part in the singing of our worship time this morning? What was your singing like? What was, what was the music and singing portion of your experience like this morning? What kind of grade would you give it? And I'm asking you to give you a grade on you. See, see, there is someone who is responsible for the singing in the church. And that's you. That's you as individuals. That's us as individuals. Do you, do you like singing and I'm not asking you, did you like the song selection or do you like the style of music? That's a, those, are different, those are important questions. Those are important questions. What songs are we going to sing? What style of music are we going to do? I'm not saying those aren't important questions. The question, it's a little bit different that I'm asking you this morning, is how did you sing this morning? See, our main point this morning is this. God's people sing about their salvation. God's people sing about their salvation. They always have, and they always will. God's people sing about something very specific. God's people sing about their salvation. They always have, and they always will. First of all, this morning, let's look in Exodus chapter 15 at the first song ever recorded. This is the first song that we have recorded for us in the scriptures, and uh, therefore I would say in human history. We, this is the first song, at least the first song of human composure that we have is here in Exodus chapter 15. The first recorded song in the Bible and they are singing about the incredible and great salvation that has just happened to them. Now, throughout history, people have written songs about events in history, about wars that have been fought, about experiences. I mean, our own Star-Spangled Banner is a song that Francis Scott Key has, uh, wrote as he watched the battle play out uh, in front of him. Like, we know what it is to write songs about uh, things that we experience in the world and about great victories. And even most of our, you know, m many, many of us used to care about sports more than we do here in recent days, but um, many of the schools or the, the teams that we pull for have fight songs, right? And it's a song that we get to cheer along uh, and cheer toward victory. And so we know what it's like for songs to be written at times of victory. And this is what's happening here in Exodus chapter 15. The Israelites have just seen God win a victory that seemed impossible to win. God wins a victory, and they instinctively, they automatically, they just respond with song. And, and you know that in the, the unguarded moments of your life, when something really good happens, you, do, uh, you respond with with joy. Now, some people are more animated than others. I get that, right? Some of you are jump out of your chair and dance around and pump your fists in the air and do silly dances and that sort of thing. Others of you are a little more like, yay. But, but you feel the joy, right? You feel the, the excitement. But we tend to, when something great happens, we tend to just express that with, uh, with song or with joy and cheer and cheering, that sort of thing. 
The first song recorded is right here in Exodus chapter 15, and they are, I believe they're just standing there. I think this is almost a spontaneous kind of song, a spontaneous kind of singing, where someone is writing down, hey, we've just seen God win a victory for us, and we have got a song to sing. And in this song, the song kind of breaks up. The song itself breaks up into two parts. And I think I've got this um, as uh, two parts on, 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 the hand, on the screen here. Do I have it on the screen, Jay? The, the, uh, first of all, it's a celebration of past salvation. Do you have that on the screen or not? No? Okay. All right. That's okay. Um, so under this first song, this first song uh, divides up into two, into two areas. First of all, we see the people of Israel are singing about past salvation. Now, when I talk about past salvation for the people of Israel, past as in like 30 minutes ago, right? Or, or however long ago God brings the waters down and destroys Egypt, and they are singing about the salvation that they've just seen God win for them. I will sing to the Lord, verse 1 says, He has triumphed gloriously. Remember last week we talked about the glory that comes to God. He's triumphed gloriously. The horse and the charioteer, the, the rider of the horse, or the rider of the chariot, he is thrown into the sea. And then look in verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song and my salvation. Right? You, you got a sermon right there. Three S's. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The Lord is my salvation. The people of Israel are aware of what they've just been rescued from, and they are rejoicing. They are singing. They're thrilled. And they, they describe God's strength, and, and they say that He is the topic. He's, the, he's the, the, the one that our song is all about. He has become our salvation. He's the one who has just saved us. This is not a song celebrating Moses and his leadership. It's not a song celebrating how wise the people of Israel were, how tricky they are. They didn't start singing, we, you know, we were so smart, we led the Egyptians to the Red Sea, and then we you know, kind of gave them a head fake, and then we went across the sea, and, and we split the water. Like Israel realizes this is not a song about themselves. This is not a song about Moses and Moses' leadership, or just some natural disaster that happened to destroy the Egyptians. This is a song celebrating what God has done. And when something awesome happens, we give thanks. We rejoice instinctively. And we read through these verses and we read about how God destroyed Pharaoh's strong, strong army and how the floods of God covered them and they went down into the deeps like a stone, right? I mean, this, 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 this is very colorful language, right? This is, this is the people of Israel in their victory, um, not gloating, but bragging on the strength of God. Look in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, The enemy said, so these are the Egyptians' words, or we'll put them in directly in Pharaoh's mouth. Then Pharaoh said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Pharaoh's saying, my hand will destroy the people of God. But now look in verse 12. It says this, of God, it says, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. So verses 9 and 12, you have the hand of Pharaoh in verse 9. You have the hand of God in verse 12. And those two hands are going to go in a wrestling match here in this passage. 
we see the, you know, them essentially in a wrestling match. You ever, you ever seen someone, in, you know, wrestling, arm wrestling with someone, and maybe it's some, you know, strapping young 20-some-year-old, and he's, he's uh, arm wrestling against like a 10-year-old. And he lets, he lets the 10-year-old get him almost where the kid thinks he's going to win, and then with no effort at all, he just, I mean, he, and then if he's mean, he slams, I mean, just slams him, Right? Well, God's not being mean, but God in the wrestling match with Pharaoh absolutely slams Pharaoh. The Lord's right hand, Pharaoh has no ability whatsoever. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think that to some degree, as God brings, as God baits Pharaoh and baits Egypt up against the Red Sea, it's almost like God's letting Pharaoh think, well, here they're trapped and I've got them, right? And then God, God's right hand comes to the rescue. And he saves the people of Israel. And they are, they are singing a song of celebration of their past salvation. But then they also begin singing a song about future salvation as well. If you look in verse, um, verse 13, you have, led in your, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And then he goes on to describe how the people of the promised land, how they they're tremble and they're, they're, uh, they're fearful and uh, there's terror and dread that is upon them. And so the people of Israel are not in the promised land yet, but they're already singing about not only have you destroyed Egypt, but you've got the, the armies and the nations that we're getting ready to go and face. You've got them shaking in their boots. We've seen the way you've saved us in the past, and we anticipate the way you're going to save us in the future. And don't you know that to be true in your own life? When you're facing, when you're looking ahead at the challenges and difficulties that may lay before you, you often remember the way that God has rescued you in the past. So they're celebrating. They're continuing to sing about how the other nations fear before them. And then verse 18, verse 18 is actually pointing ahead to future and final salvation. Verse 18 is not talking primarily about the victory over uh, Pharaoh and the country of Egypt. It's not talking primarily about the, the uh, victories that they're going to win in the promised land. Verse 18 rings with eternity. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Verse 18 is pointing ahead to the future and final salvation. And so this song, like many songs, has a lot of beautiful and colorful language. This is one of those passages um, that uh, would be similar to the passage in, math, in, in uh, Psalms that Matt read earlier, that in the Hebrew language, this would read like poetry. If we knew Hebrew and I was able to read you this, this passage in Hebrew, um, it would, you would be like, oh, that sounds like a song that, that, that rhymes and it has, you could, you could very easily sing that. Well, that in Hebrew, that is the case in this passage. And so we, we kind of rush through this passage and we see this song of, of celebrating of past salvation and the song celebrating future salvation. And then verse 19, and by the way, I'm going through the passage quickly and then we're going to make some, some uh, uh, points. Two and three are kind of points of application. Um, we get to verse uh, 19 and, and verse 19 kind of rehearses again. Why are we singing this song? Because when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters back upon uh, of the sea upon them. The Lord delivered uh, the people of Israel. They walked through on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And then in verse 20, Miriam the prophetess, 
who is the sister of Aaron, which means that she's also the sister of whom? Yeah, she's, okay, so this is, this is a family affair. Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, the sister of Moses, takes a tambourine in her hand, and she gathers the women, and they all went out with tambourines and dancing, and there's nothing in this passage in any way, that, shape, or form that uh, condemns any of it. Like, this is, this is still part of the celebration. This is still part of the good thing that God is doing, and Miriam goes out, and you know, um, you know in the, old, the really old movie Casablanca where he says, play it again, Sam, right? Like, this is Miriam playing it again. Like, play it again, Miriam. Like, that was a great song, and Miriam's like, we're going to sing that one again. You know, here we go, ladies, follow me. Everybody grabs, grabs their tambourines, and I'm, I'm sure that this looked and felt like some kind of celebration. Um, I did not watch much of the Olympics this year. Um, but a, a f- some of the events that I watched, I enjoyed where they did the Zoom thing with their family back home. Did, did any of you see this where like they're competing and then they show the live footage of the family watching their loved one? And, you know, they're um, and, you know, with some of the events, I mean, it's like point zero zero two three seconds that separate first place and second place, um, which is I mean, can you imagine like spending your entire life and you like you miss by point zero zero two three seconds and you know you have to go home anyway sorry I get sidetracked on that um, but you're they're watching the family and they're waiting and they're what and like you can you can see even if you had the sound totally turned off you can tell the moment that they see their loved one win the gold right because everybody's Everybody's watching, and then the moment it happens, the room just erupts, right? People are jumping up, stuff's flying in the air, people are hugging them. Like, there's this kind of celebration. And, and friends, so imagine millions of people celebrating like that in this moment. You haven't experienced a moment in your life quite like this. Many of us have experienced many wonderful celebratory things, but you haven't been gathered with two million people who were getting ready to be wiped out by the most powerful army in the world, and at the last moment, in ways that seem absolutely impossible to you, God <clears throat> swoops in and smashes the, the bad guys in, in the Red Sea. Or have we experienced an event just exactly like this? Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have experienced a moment just exactly like this, where the evil one had all authority and claim over you, and you were his, and he was going to destroy you, and in a way that seems unbelievable to us, God sends his Son to rescue us from the certain destruction that would come. See, our song is the song of salvation as well, which brings us to point number two. So the point number one was the first song. Point number two is this, the songs in between. The songs in between. You see, Israel is a people who sing because of their salvation. And do you know why we sing? We do not sing because we need a little more stuff to do in our Sunday morning church service. I assure you, I could fill the time. You could, you could give me an hour and 20 minutes and I could figure out what to do with it, right? It's not because we need more stuff to do. It's because you and I had our backs against the Red Sea with no way to fight against Pharaoh and his army, and God stepped in and rescued us. We have a song 
of salvation that we sing as well. We are singing people, or at least we should be. And I don't mean that you have a good voice. I don't mean that you like every single song we choose on a Sunday morning. I don't mean that you like the style of music that we do. Those are different issues. What I'm saying is, as people who have been saved by God, we are a singing people. Or at least we should be. We have a great triumph, a great victory to celebrate together. I've shared with you before, there have been a lot of other places that I've been in the world and I've been able to be with people in Africa or people in South America or people in the Middle East and, and worship with them. And their services feel a lot different than this one. There's a whole lot more dancing. There's a whole lot more hands being raised. There's a whole lot more expression, that sort of thing. That's great. Um, but the thing... and, and and I've shared this with you before as well. Like, I've been in the Middle East before, and they're singing songs that don't, like, I don't even know how to follow along. It's, it, it does the, the rhythm and the, the cadence, and the, I, don't, I sure don't know, you know, how to speak Arabic, so I'm lost with the language, but I'm, just the music sounds completely foreign to me because the music is foreign to me. But the content of the music is not foreign to me. They're singing the same song of salvation there that we do here, that others have done, that Moses is singing here. We have a great triumph and a great victory to celebrate together. Flip over, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Here's a passage in the New Testament that makes it very clear that we are singing people. And that we sing with hearts that are full of thanks for the salvation that God uh, has given us. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Why would there be thankfulness in your heart to God? Because of his salvation. The first chapters, these first three chapters of Colossians are describing the salvation of God, of you and me, of God's people. God has saved us. God has rescued us. So it's like we're being pumped up full of the good truth and information from God's word. And now Paul is saying, now look, when you gather, uh, uh, teach each other, admonish each other, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The key for your singing is not the song selection. The key as to whether or not you engage vibrantly on Sunday morning or in your home or in the privacy you know, of, of you know, your, your car or something like that, the key to whether or not you sing with understanding and that you sing with worship in your heart, the key is not song selection primarily. Good songs are important, bad songs are bad. I'm not, that, that's not the primary thing. The primary thing is not the style of musical worship that's done on a Sunday morning. You might think, well, I'm more of a dark room, loud music kind of person. Or you might think, I'm more of a bright room, quiet music sort of person. Or I'm more of an organ person and less of a guitar person. Or I'm more of a guitar person and drums kind of person. Or I want it dark with lights and smoke kind of person. But let me just tell you that none of that is not what determines whether or not you engage with a heart full of thankfulness in singing to the Lord. 
What determines that is your understanding of what God has done for you in Christ. I'm just telling you, if we would have been standing there watching the bad guys float in the ocean, we would have joined in, or the sea, we would have joined in with hearts that were full and ready to sing. But we have experienced that same salvation. So it's our meditation on what God has done for us in Christ that erupts in singing. And if it's an old song from an old hymn book, our heart erupts in singing if the words are true about the salvation that Christ has won for us. Or if we're in a new modern trendy church and it's dark inside and the music's loud, our hearts erupt in singing with worship if they're singing songs that are true about the deliverance and salvation that God has wrought for us in Jesus Christ. See, it's your understanding of your salvation that moves and motivates primarily. I'm not saying those other things aren't important, but primarily it's your understanding of the salvation that God has secured for you in Christ Jesus that will cause you to sing. And notice here in Colossians chapter 3, and there's a cross-reference in Ephesians chapter 5, 19 that says almost the same thing. Many of you are familiar with that passage as well. Ephesians 5, 19, here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. But look in chapter 3, verse 16, and notice to whom you are singing. Who, who is hearing your song when you sing in verse 16? Well, you're singing first and foremost and primarily to God. But who else are you singing to? Yeah, to each other. Did, did you know that it's actually important for you to hear the people around you singing on Sunday morning? And did you know it's important for you to sing in such a way that the people around you hear you singing on Sunday morning? And you might think, I have a terrible voice. I, I didn't say it needed to sound pretty. The people around you need to hear and see you worshiping the Lord with your singing on Sunday morning. W musical worship is not exclusively a private thing. We think it is. We want to excuse ourselves that way. Oh, this is just a private, this is just between me and the Lord. That's even one of the reasons why a lot of churches do. They turn the they turn the lights down and the volume up so you have no idea what anyone around you is even doing, right? The music's so loud, you have no idea if the person standing next to you is even singing or not. And I'm not here to throw stones at that. But what I am here to do is say, the Bible actually says that it's good for Joseph to hear Jerry singing and vice versa. Now, Jerry might think, Joseph doesn't have a very good voice. I don't want to hear him sing. No. Okay, a terrible voice or a good? Okay, he has a good voice. Okay. So, brothers and sisters, I'm not making this up, and this isn't my preference indicating anything here. The Scriptures, both in Ephesians 5 and in Colossians 3, make it clear that we need to hear one another singing. One of the reasons we keep the little ones in here and then dismiss them up for their age-appropriate teaching is we want them to hear us singing. We want them to see us giving. We want them to see us reading the Word of God. So imagine, imagine if you're the example, if you're setting the tone, if you are the one that everyone else in the room is supposed to get their cue from as to how you engage in worship. Now, I do want to take into account the reality that there are different personalities. Okay? Miss Joy is one of my favorite singers in the church. But if my wife chose to worship the Lord the exact same way 
that Sister Joy worships the Lord, I would know that my wife was acting, right? Now, I'm not saying it would be wrong for her to do that, but I know that she, her personality is one that's a little more quiet, a little more, I'm not trying to embarrass either of these. These are two of my favorite ladies in the room, right? Um, what I am saying is this. I do know both of them, and I do know that both of them sing in a way that is full of worship to the Lord, right? So I'm sitting next to my wife, and I'm, I'm aware when there's a tear in her eye, and, and I, she's got a beautiful voice. She sings incredibly well, right? They both sing beautifully. Sister Joy, she comes and cleans the church for us during the week, and I, I know when she's here whether her car is out back or not because she's singing the whole time she's uh, in, here, in here cleaning. Different ones of you are going to sing different ways. Some, I, I know that I have a loud voice, I just, do, I like to sing. I like to sing loudly. It's just, you know, my kids kind of roll their eyes and laugh at me um, when they, because they're like, Dad, when you stop singing, it sounds like half as quiet, half as noisy in the, in the auditorium when you stop singing. Sorry, I just, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it rip. But friends, what I am concerned about, I'm not so concerned about whether or not you're singing loudly or you're expressing. And by the way, if you're a hand raiser, this is, a, raise your hand. If you want to dance around, dance around, like, like Miriam did, like, like we have example of in the Bible. Now, again, we're kind of a calm, white group of people. These were Middle Easterners who knew how to party, right? We, but we can learn from them. There's a lot that we can learn from. Um, and there's a lot that we can learn from our brothers and sisters who are from other cultures and other places. I, I, have, um, I have learned so much from, from being able to travel and being with God's people in other places. What I want to do is this. Here's what I am concerned about. When there's nothing in your heart that's motivating your mouth to sing. The other thing that concerns me is if you're waiting for the music to like make you worshipful. See, a lot of people think, well, the music didn't do much for me today. It didn't get me, didn't get me ready to worship. You view music like it's stretching out before the workout. You know what I mean? Like it's going to get me warmed up. It's going to kind of get me ready to really engage in worship. But what the way the scriptures indicate the way worship works is there is a truth that profoundly affects our heart, that motivates singing. It's not, it's not the other way around. In fact, we've talked about, and one of the reasons we actually have started always ending our, song, our service with a song is because we've just spent 45 minutes looking at truth. Now let's sing about it. And there are some churches that start with preaching and end with singing. It's not something that you use to kind of get yourself in a right frame of mind. And I think there's a lot of people who kind of trick themselves into thinking that there's more spiritual stuff going on when it's just the emotion of the music. Sorry, now I'm getting on a little bit of a, a, a soapbox that may not be, uh, it may, may reflect a little bit more of my, my personality or my, um, my opinion than what's, what's biblically here. Okay, so let me back up. What is biblically here is this. It is true that you need to sing in such a way that other people around you are blessed. They need to hear you sing. When we hear each other sing, it's like this. Yeah, yeah, we do believe this. Yeah, Christ is worthy. Yeah, Christ is all I have. We sang it this morning. And you sang well this morning. And so... The songs in between are the songs that we sing with thankfulness in our hearts, and we sing it to one another and to God. And like Israel, we sing about past salvation and about future salvation. They sang about God's salvation, and this is what we sing about as well, right? About how Christ has saved us from our sin. And they sang about where he was taking them, right? They sang about how that the people of the promised land were scared because God was going to bring them and plant them in the mountain, we read um, uh, in uh, Exodus 15 this morning. 
And we sing about where God is taking us. That's why we sing songs like, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Or we sing it from, uh, from the old hymn, I know, that, I know by thy good pleasure I will safely arrive at home. I've been meditating some uh, recently on the, song, uh, the, the lyrics to an old song, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. How many of you are familiar? This is a really obscure song. Any, how many of you are familiar with the song, The Sands of Time Are Sinking? Okay, a couple of you. The king there in his beauty without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey, though seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. That's the heart of those who have been saved in the past and know that there is an eternal and absolute future salvation for them. They know they're going to a place where Emmanuel dwells. So, brothers and sisters, are your remembrance, is your remembrance of past salvation and your promise of future salvation the fuel that motivates your singing? It should be. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then it's meditation on the truths of the gospel that warms you up to sing the truths. It's one of the reasons we even um, start with a scriptural call to worship on Sunday mornings. You'll notice that every single Sunday morning, the first thing we do is open the Bible and someone reads the Bible. That's not, again, that's not just a time filler or a time killer. That's a way for us to start by looking in the Word of God. And this morning, Matt read, open my eyes so that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That's a prayer that Matt read for us this morning. We want, we want God to open our eyes. We want God to do what only He can do. And so we look into his word and we see these things that are true and we're reminded of how we've been saved and how we've been rescued from Pharaoh and how we are on our way to the promised land. And we sing with hearts that are full of thankfulness for this. And just like Miriam, as soon as they sang it through the first time, Miriam grabs a tambourine and grabs her choir and says, come on, ladies, play it again, Sam. And they start singing the song all over again. Did you ever notice that we sing the same songs more than once around here? In fact, we sing a lot of the songs over and over and over again, just like Miriam and the people of Israel did, and we're going to keep doing that. Friends, a church's singing, singing should be a thermometer, not a thermostat, of the spiritual health of the church. What does a thermometer do? A thermometer gives you a reading of the temperature. A thermostat sets the temperature of the room. A church's singing should indicate the spiritual health and vibrancy of the church. You don't try to set the music somewhere in order to get people somewhere. You proclaim the truth of the salvation of Jesus Christ, and we respond now with hearts that just erupt into singing. By the end of hearing and being reminded again of the salvation that God has given to you through Jesus Christ, your heart should have some rendition of celebrate good times. Come on. I'm not going to sing it. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? Cele- I will sing it. Celebrate good times. Come on. Like, I'm not kidding. You should feel that or some version of that, right? Now, I've just ruined that song and my sermon. Um, by using it, but like there, there really should be like, hey, 
Do you remember when we stood there and Pharaoh was going to get us and there was no way out and the strong arm of the Lord came in and rescued us together? Brothers and sisters, you and I, look around the room. Take your eyes and look around the room right now. Look around the room. Look around. We have that story. We do have that story. We had no way of escape. We have no way of rescuing ourselves. And the king of glory came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to rescue us and to give us this story. If you'll turn from your sin and trust in him, now we have this song to sing. And we're going to sing it, point number three, forever. The eternal song. So we started with the first song. We're talking about the songs in between. And finally, and I'm almost done, the eternal song. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. You have to see this. you got to see it in your Bible. This is so cool. Things like this aren't accidents. Chapter 15, Revelation chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven writes John, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass, with harps of God in their hands. Look in verse 3. And they sing, what song do they sing? They sing... The song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, all nations, Egypt, Israel, all the nations in the promised land, all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. So Moses here in Exodus chapter 15, they're singing a song of salvation, a song that God saved them from the evil one. In between, between Moses in Exodus chapter 15 and Revelation chapter 15, yes, that is a coincidence, by the way, Exodus 15, Revelation 15, Um, in between, you and I are singing songs. And what's the theme of our song? We're singing about the salvation that God has won for us in Christ Jesus. And then for all of eternity, as John looks into the heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 15, what song are they singing? They're singing what is told to us as the song of Moses. And I have to believe, Exodus chapter 15 is clearly a song of Moses. I believe they're singing Exodus chapter 15, with a more full understanding of the salvation that God has won for them. And then obviously this song of the Lamb, uh, it, these truths, great and amazing are your deeds, who will not fear your name, those truths are found there in Exodus chapter 15 as well. And then Revelation chapter 19 verse 1, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, or some translations say singing out, hallelujah, salvation Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Brothers and sisters, this will be our eternal song. God's people sing of salvation. They always have and they always will. We are singing people. I don't believe eternity is going to be one big, long you know, concert. The new heavens and new earth describes uh, life as though it were uh, you know, back in the Garden of Eden before sin. 
I believe we're going to have responsibilities and we're going to have a lot of ways in which we live life without sin, but there will be, we will continue to be people who sing and our theme will continue to be this song of salvation of the lamb who was slain to deliver their people. Exodus was delivered with a sacrificial, those in, uh, the Israelites in Exodus were delivered through the blood of a sacrificial lamb. You and I are people who have been delivered by the blood of a sacrificial lamb and forever we will sing a song about those who have been delivered through the blood of a sacrificial lamb. We are singing people. We are singing people. We, of all people in the world, have something to sing about. The world sings about all sorts of stuff. The world sings about relationships, but relationships that fail. And the world sings about fun and entertainment, but fun and entertainment that leaves you hollow. It sings about love, but love that's not trustworthy. It sings about intimacy, but not intimacy that satisfies the world. It sings about peace. The world sings about all sorts of things. Brothers and sisters, we are the only ones who, when we sing about love or peace or intimacy or any of these themes that the world sings about, we have the one. We sing about the one who can actually bring those things. And we sing about the one who does conquer our enemies and he does fight our battles and he does lead us wisely. So imagine how you might sing in heaven. How might you sing in heaven? Imagine how you might sing if you had the opportunity to sing with Jesus in plain sight. How might you sing? I have a feeling that some of you who aren't used to getting down are going to be getting down, if you know what I mean. I don't know what the heavenly song sounds like. I have a feeling it's probably music that we've never, it's, it's a style, a composition that we're, we just can't even imagine how glorious it's going to be. So, you know, it, it, the worship wars will someday be over because the one that we're worshiping really will be the, the lamb in all his glory we will see in Emmanuel's land. With your heart, how might you sing in heaven with your heart and mind full of his salvation and your eyes full of him, don't you think you'd celebrate? I think you will. I want to encourage you, by the grace of God and with minds and hearts that are informed with the gospel, with the good news of Christ's salvation, I want to encourage you to sing like that now. That doesn't mean that the next time we sing here in church that the place is going to go crazy. I'm not, I'm not asking, right? Like we're, we're getting ready to sing, by the way. And I think everybody's going to kind of be like, are we doing anything different in here now? Like, is, uh, you know, is Keitha going to start running up and down the aisles? Like, what's Larry wants to? Okay, we're going to dismiss you before we sing uh, here in just a moment. I'm, I, I, it's, remember, it's not about us. It's, it's not about drawing attention to ourselves. But uh, what, I want, what I want God to do for us is to help each of us draw our attention to him. And the closing song, what's the page number, Josh? Number 305, go and take your songbooks, and I'll go ahead and ask the music team to come up, because I, I did want us to look at the hymn together real quickly, and just look at what we're singing. Here's a song, an old, it's an old, I mean, I don't know how old, but it's an old hymn, nothing new, nothing fancy, nothing, uh, you know, Jesus paid it all. We can sing with our hearts full of his salvation and our eyes, eyes full of him. Friends, God's people sing about their salvation. They always have and they always will. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, you haven't been saved, let me encourage you to talk with one of us this morning. You don't even have to talk to us. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ. Look at uh, page uh, number 305 in your hymnal. Jesus paid it all. And uh, there are four verses here. 
number two, verse two says, Lord, I find that thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spot and melt the heart of stone. Verse three, nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white and the blood of Calvary's lamb. Like you're singing about the, resur- uh, uh, the, the rescue, the, the salvation that God has brought to you. And then look in verse four, right? We, we sing about past salvation, about how the, the lamb's blood has been slain to save us. We sing about past salvation. Verse four takes us into what? Future salvation. Verse four, and when before the throne I stand in him complete, What's your song going to be? Jesus died, my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. The people of Israel sang about the salvation of God. God's people throughout history have sang about the salvation of God. And someday when you stand before the throne complete in Jesus Christ, you know what your song is going to be? We don't get a new, there's not a new theme. We're going to continue to sing about the salvation that God has wrought for us in Jesus Christ. So let's stand and we'll sing and then Matt will come and close our service. I hear the Savior say Thy strength indeed is small Child of weakness watch and pray